Good morning, everyone. Such a joy and blessing to be with you all. Let's just pray before we get into the word. Um, Father God, we thank you this morning that you are indeed sovereign. We thank you that though heaven is our home, heaven is coming and it's already come. So help us to live as people who are willing to shine our light where we are. God, help us to always seek and find you with our whole heart. Help us to glorify you as we seek the peace and prosperity and shalom of the world around us, of our world. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. Um, a few weeks ago, a few, um, last weekend, we had a Mosaics meeting. Mosaics is a group here in the church that um, is designed, it works at behest of the church board, to be a resource to not only pastors and, and church staff, but to ministry teams and to the church as a whole, just um, to help us live out the vision and the mission of the church. And during our Mosaics meeting, I was once on, um, probably a couple years ago, I was on like eight to ten boards, because I had a hard time saying no, but I've learned. Um, and staff was just like, we think that's too much, you need to cut back. So I've been working to cut back um and but one of the boards I was on I've been on I was, one time I was on three different boards with Emerson Lesher who was here in the first service and one of the things I learned from him is because sometimes you're in there two hours three hours if you're blessed four hours um in these different board meetings but one of the things I learned from him was you should just ask an interesting question to start you know um so I was just like I got my interesting question I'm gonna do this quick devo then we got to get to the agenda right um but during the devotional a couple people on mosaics were just like I needed that like, I was like, oh, good. God's good. They're like, no, 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 you should preach that. And I was like, I did. They're like, when? I was like, six years ago. No, that's a long time ago. I was just like, yeah. But I had something else I wanted to preach. He's like, no, you really should preach that. I was like, okay, I guess I know what I'm preaching on. Thank you, Lord. Um, but the devotional is based on Jeremiah 29. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It's a passage that Jeremiah writes to a people who are battered and bruised. Maybe you can relate. He writes to people who've been beaten down. He writes to people who are, are sick and tired. They're over it. They're not feeling it. He writes to people who are, are at the bottom of their rope, to be honest. You know, um, whenever I read through Jeremiah, I think of um, Fannie Lou Hamer, who is one of my personal heroes, and I believe um, not just active in the civil rights movement, but I think she's one of the greatest prophets in America. And I told people in the first service, you know, like if nothing else, write her name down on Wikipedia her later. She is amazing. One of the things that I admire by her, she didn't really find her voice until she was 45. Um, in those 45 years, she got everything that Jim Crow South could throw at her. Um, she was a sharecropper in the land of the free. She was sterilized without her permission, couldn't have kids. Um, she knew people who were lynched and killed. And, and one of the most fascinating things about Fanny, what kind of made her famous was um, she gave an interview, and it was on all the networks. And, and Lyndon B. Johnson's recorded as saying, you know what, when Martin talks, they're used to Martin. They don't really listen to him, but I'm terrified of Fanny. And the reason he was terrified of her is because she was one of the first ones to actually say what's happening in Mississippi. And one of the things that Fanny's known for saying is, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think there's a few of us in the room this morning that might be sick and tired of, of being sick and tired. Um, another thing I was thinking about in this passage is um, there's a guy by the name of John Foreman uh, plays in a band called Switchfoot, which is really good band, you know, but it's like one of the few people in music that I, I feel like me and this guy connected, you know, like he writes these songs and I actually listened to them so much, like I thought I wrote the songs. Um, when I was in college, they came out with this album called Beautiful Letdown, which is a great album. And one of the most fascinating things, they talk about how the world's not as it should be. You know, talk about how there's brokenness all around us. But then he says, you know, this idea that it, it's beautiful though, when you realize the world's not as it should be and it's okay because God's got you. It's beautiful when you realize that you're not meant to do it on your own, and God's got you. It's beautiful when you realize that where you're weak, he's strong. It's beautiful when you realize that you need somebody else. So he calls it a beautiful letdown. When you realize that you don't belong in this world, and that's okay. 
when you realize that things ain't right, but that's okay too. So it is in this context that Jeremiah writes to a people who need to hear from God because they're battered, they're bruised. They're sick and tired of being sick and tired. In Jeremiah 29, 1 to 14, we read, this is a text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elessa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The letter said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You know, in this letter, our scripture this morning, Jeremiah moves from lamentation to praise. He moves from a discouraged people to give them a little bit of encouragement. He moves from the doom and gloom to give them hope. The weeping prophet gives the people a message of joy. I think of Jeremiah when I read the psalmist who says what? Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In this passage, Jeremiah is trying to give his people joy. You know, often we think about Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet. And I think that's a little bit of a misnomer, or at least an overstatement, because Jeremiah had things to cry about. Now, it'd be like if I called Eagles fans crybabies, that wouldn't be right. You know, it's not their fault they haven't won a Super Bowl. You know, it's not their fault they can't win a Super Bowl. I'm actually rooting for y'all today. Like, maybe you could get second place. We all got dreams. You know, like, maybe, maybe you could win second place. God is good. He'll be there for you. I won't. But Jeremiah is called this weeping prophet, just like I could call Eagles fans crybabies, but that would be an overstatement. Just like we call Thomas Doubting Thomas, right? We call him Doubting Thomas because he didn't believe that the risen Lord. And it's easy to call him Doubting Thomas, and it's harder to call ourselves Doubting Hanks when we doubt God every day, when we deny God by how we live, when we deny God the access is the Lord of our life. We deny submitting to him our hopes and dreams. We can call Thomas Doubting Thomas, but how are we doubting God every day? But you see, Jeremiah, I said he's worth the weeping because this man faced some things. He was the last prophet of the kingdom of Judah. 
That means that for centuries, people time and time again, God made a covenant with them and said, you need to listen to me. They said, okay. You need to follow me. They said, okay. You need to put me first always. They said, okay. And if you want to know the patience of God, you need to just read through the Old Testament because it was centuries upon centuries and generations upon generations who kept saying no to God, who kept choosing other gods, who kept not putting him first. Or maybe if you don't want to look in the Old Testament, you look at your own life. I know I stand before you this morning only by the grace of God. I know I fall short. I know I will never always on my own meet the mark. But God is good, amen? And our lives need to reflect the goodness of God. And we need to remind ourselves not to look down upon some of these saints of old. Because, again, we deny God every day by how we live, by what we say and don't say, by how we love and don't love. But Jeremiah was the weeping prophet because he had to go before his nation and say, your time is up. He had to go before the nation and say, I know it's been centuries, but God says the judgment has come. I know it's been a while and you guys keep getting away with it, but we will be taken over. We will lose our homes. We will be killed. We will be taken to a foreign land. The time is up. You know, a lot of us, we shudder. and We, we, we struggle to, to maybe respond on, instant, uh, on, on Instagram or, or Facebook. Somebody says something we don't agree with. We're like, I just don't know. Jeremiah had to tell people, you're going to die. And I'm the, message from, the messenger from God who has this message for you. Like, we're scared to have hard conversations with people when they say stuff we know it's not right. We're scared to have those conversations. Jeremiah had to stand before the king and said, it's your fault. We're going to lose our inheritance. We're going to lose our land. We're going to lose our lives. He stood up because he knew what was right. Maybe it's time we learn a little bit of something from Jeremiah. He was persecuted. You know, we got beaten, battered, and bruised emotionally and spiritually. He got it physically. One of the most fascinating things about Jeremiah, though, is that a lot of times, three, at least three different times in the book, he's saved by foreigners. You know, it's something fascinating to me that God's people sometimes don't know how to act like Jesus. That God's people sometimes don't know how to love. That God's people sometimes don't know how to literally represent the God they call. We call ourselves Christians, Christ ones, and look nothing like our Christ. And what's fascinating about Jeremiah is that three different times it's foreigners who save him. The first one was Nebuchadnezzar. And if you think about that for a second, this was the guy who conquered them. This is the guy who killed them. But that's the guy who helped save Jeremiah one time. Not God's people. One of my favorite ones was a guy by the name of Ebed-Melech. And I found this recently and it blew my mind. Ebed-Melech was an Ethiopian eunuch, right? I grew up um, in a very, very white, Christianized environment. Right? It's almost like you, you guys can picture the old picture of blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. But that's how our faith looked. It's like we forgot Jesus was a Palestinian, dark-skinned person of color. We forgot that Jesus was with the poor and not the powerful. We forgot that Jesus cared about the world and not us. We forgot that Jesus is for the marginalized and those left behind. It was a very white-centered Jesus that I was taught to worship. And even in looking at the Bible, I struggle with seeing myself in the Bible. But then you find people like Ebed-Melech, and it's fascinating. The Bible calls him a Cushite, which is very, very important because in those days, we didn't have a word for sub-Saharan Africa. We weren't ready to go to Africa and steal stuff and steal people yet. So we didn't have a word for sub-Saharan Africa. So we called it Ethiopia, and we called it Cush. 
But what that means is that this Cushite, this Ethiopian, was a black man like me. And he's not only in the Bible, he's not only in the king's court, but he's in this king's court. That even back then, a black person like me is not only in the Bible, but he's the one that God chooses to save Jeremiah. What did he save Jeremiah from? He was running his mouth again. He goes before the king and says, hey, I'm telling you, it's time. You're going to die if you don't leave the city. And the king, like every good politician, says, let's go to what the advisors say. And the advisors take Jeremiah and they toss him in a cistern, which I did some digging in. And this is your choices. It was either a well that's left empty and he's stuck in the mud and the mire, or it's a sewage plant. And that's where he is. And we don't know how long it was. But the purpose of putting him there was so he could die. Now, you have to remember, Jeremiah had some contemporaries, you know, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Those guys were all taken to Babylon, too. They got to be in the fire, but they at least got an angel with them, right? Like some people even think that's an Old Testament representation of Jesus. We can argue about that later. But either way, what we know is there was an angel with them in the fire. My man, Jeremiah, got to sit at the bottom of the muck by himself. But it was this beautiful picture of God never leaves us alone in the muck and the mire. And Ebed Melech, this black guy from Africa who's in the king's court, goes before the king and says, you know what? Jeremiah's God's man. That's God's prophet. You might not like what he's saying. You might not agree with it. But that's the word of the Lord. You need to save him. And like every good politician, the king says, you need to save him. Let's not let anyone know we had this conversation. So Ebed-Melech gets a bunch of rags, he ties it together, he gets a bunch of people, throws it down in the sewage plant, pulls up Jeremiah. And actually someone there leaving, they said, you know the best part about that story, you missed it. I was like, oh yeah, I thought I had it. You know, they said, the best part about that story is even after he pulls him out of the muck and the mire, he has rags and clothes there to cover his skin and to protect him. And I was thinking about that this morning. What a beautiful picture of God is that he not only desires to pull us out of the muck and mire, he not only desires us to know that he's always with us, is that when we come up, he's going to cover us. And that is a beautiful thing to remember. So Jeremiah had a bunch worth things worth crying about. He was telling the people they were sinful. He was telling the people that they had ignored and disobeyed God, that they had worshipped other God, that they had chose gifts and not the giver. And one of the things I love to do about Jeremiah is to remind that the word that he's giving to his people back then, we can give to ourselves today as North American Christians. Because we sometimes worship the gifts and not the giver. We are known for not treating each other equally. We're known for consistently marginalizing not just our neighbors, but the world. So this word from Jeremiah is also a word to us. And the hardest part of his message is he had to tell these people that sin has consequences. We live in a world that struggles to even admit there's wrong or sin. But Jeremiah wants them to know your sin has consequences. Look at your leader, Saul. He lost the kingdom. David. He lost a child and then lost the rest of his children. Solomon, because he turned away from the God and went to other gods, the kingdom was split in two, and they were going to be captured by Babylonians and Assyrians and slaughtered. Sin has consequences. And now the people were going to be exiles. And this is the letter he's writing to them. is that, I know it's been centuries, but the time is up. The time has come. I know you've been sinning forever, but God is ready to render his judgment. Babylon is coming. You're going to be killed and slaughtered and destroyed. And a few of you might survive, but you're not going to be in your land. 
And I think why that's important for us is that we need to realize that all of us in this room, from the moment we choose to follow Jesus and say, you're the Lord of my life, we leave earth and now have citizenship in heaven. That means that every one of us in this room, we're not just from Midtown and Uptown. We're not just from Susquehanna Township or York. We're not just from Derry Township. We're not from Hummelstown. We're not from Grantham. We're now Mechanicsburg. Yes, Grantham doesn't exist anymore. But all of us, as soon as we choose to follow Jesus, we become visitors to this world. We become children of exile. And I think that message that Jeremiah has is, as children of exile, this is what I want you to do. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Where you are is where God called you. Where you are is where you got to shine. Don't be defined by this world. Be defined by your Lord. You know, one of, my, one of the, I think the, the modern prophets of my generation is a guy by, goes by the name of Chance the Rapper. Um, he has one of the greatest Anabaptist statements ever recorded in a hip-hop album. Maybe the only one. But he says, don't believe in kings believe in the kingdom. And that challenged me every day because our North American Christianity, ourselves, we want to believe in the kingdoms of this world. We want to believe in the powers that be in this world. We want the powers to let us down. And we're like, why do you keep letting us down? But I think Chance's words need to ring in all our hearts. Don't believe in kings. Believe in the kingdom. Don't put your trust in America. It will always let you down. Put your trust in Jesus. He'll always lift you up. Amen? And the letter has four important points that I want to flesh out. The first one is God is the Lord God Almighty. And I think that's something we need to hold on to because it's so easy to get paralyzed by the darkness all around us, ain't it? It's so easy to be defeated by all the brokenness we see in the world. It's so easy to be overwhelmed. But when you sit back and remember God is the Lord God Almighty, that God is sovereign, then you can move from paralyzed to actually doing some work. Because when God is sovereign, there's not brokenness. There's only place that God can heal. There's not darkness. There's only places that need your light. There's not evil only. But there's good that's yet to be done. If God is sovereign, then God is with you now as a visitor in this world. Then God is in every God is in control of every situation. You don't need to be defined by your situation. So often we get trained and we train ourselves and our eyes to look at our situation when always God says, "Look up. Look up. Stop looking around and only seeing what this world has to offer because if I'm sovereign, God says, if I'm in control, if you trust me, we will get through." You know, I think it's awesome that God's in control because some of us might feel a little bit lost. Some of us might not even see the road, much less the end of the road. Some of us might feel weak this morning, but that's a blessing because my Bible and your Bible says when we're weak, there he's strong. When you're weak, there he's strong. God's got you. So you might feel battered, you might feel bruised, you might feel broken this morning. You might be sick and tired of being sick and tired. But the first thing I want you to hold on to is God is still sovereign. God is still in control. God is still God. God is still God. Second thing I think Jeremiah fleshes out in this passage is that we are called to shine where we are. I think that's one that we all need to hold on to. One of the things I love about this church is that we're physically in Harrisburg, but our roots go the world over. And I'm not just talking about the missionaries or the fact that all oh, y'all love to travel and not invite me. 
but our roots go all over this world. Our roots go all over central Pennsylvania, which means that this church, if we pledge to shine where we are, we can have an impact in Mechanicsburg, in Hershey, in York, in Harrisburg, in Susquehanna Township, in Swatara Township, in Dillsburg. We can have an impact in this entire region if we're willing to commit to shining where we are. Shining not for ourselves. Shining not so we can look good. Shining for God's glory. This is why Jeremiah says to people, you might be exiles now, but you need to make deeper roots. You need to belong to that community. You need to build homes, plant gardens, settle down, plant your foot in the ground so people know you're there. And that brought me to this simple question. All of us are Christians are called to not just know the light that's Jesus Christ. We're called to shine the light. All of us as Christians are called to not just know about the gospel, but to preach the gospel. You know, St. Francis didn't even say it, and we keep attributing it to it, but I think it's paralyzed too many of us. We go around saying, you know, speak the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And we don't speak the gospel, and our words don't even get heard because our lives don't match our Christ. If you... Know the light of God. Does your family? Does your friends? How about your coworkers? What about your neighbors? Is the world that you're in, the people you interact with, your everyday scenes, is it impacted at all for the better? At all for the better? How is the true light that Jesus is shining through you? How does your world, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your schools, your workplaces, the people you meet on the street, how are they seeing Jesus? Because here's the thing, sisters and brothers, and this terrifies me. But Jesus had a physical body, which means when he's resurrected, he's physically in heaven. The spirit is moving and alive and moving the world over and in us. But the more I study scripture, the more I'm paralyzed by this thought. Because God says, listen, I'm sending the spirit and I'm sending my people to church. So if we're paralyzed and doing nothing, if the world doesn't know that Jesus loves them, if the world doesn't feel the love of Jesus, know the love of Jesus, understand who Jesus is, it's not Jesus' fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. If the world doesn't know Jesus, it's up to you to shine your light there. You know, we talked about shalom the last time I was up here. We said shalom. It's not just a greeting. It's peace with God. It's peace with others. It's peace with creation. So if God has made you visit where you live, I just want to ask that question. How are you planning to bring shalom this week? How are you going to make your family better this week? Your friends better this week? Your neighborhoods better this week? I read a story last night and it moved me. It touched something inside of me because I was raised by a single mom. And it wasn't by her choice. Been in exile since 1989 because my dad was killed during a civil war. So I understood this story and it just caught me off guard. I was done with my sermon and I saw this story and I was like, oh, that's in the sermon. It was about a lady who, you know, they said, how do you know, you know, that you're in this sisterhood? Or how do you know that people love and care about you? She said, you know what? I didn't know. But I was pregnant as a mom, and, and I, I had a, a little toddler with me, and, and I used to waddle and make my way over to the bus stop every single day. And I noticed that after a little while, there was a guy there, and I, I guess he caught a different bus, you know, but he was always there. If I needed anything, he was physically there, but he never said a word. He was just there to make sure I was okay, and we had like this weird relationship because we never really talked, but I knew he was there. And one day, I get to the bus stop, and he's not there. And I'm like, I hope nothing happened to him, even though I never said hi. 
And then out of the corner of her eye, she sees this guy racing out of his house, racing towards her. And he's like, I am so sorry. And she's like, why? The bus didn't come yet. Plus, I don't even know what bus you get. Um, he goes, no, no, no. My wife and I, we overslept this morning. She's like, okay. He's like, no, no, no. See, my wife and I saw you. We're eating breakfast one morning. We saw you making your way to the bus stop and sitting. And, and my wife just told me, she's like, you know what? I don't know what she needs. She might not need anything. But can you just go to that bus stop every day and sit with her and just make sure she gets on her way okay? And he realized, and she realized, that he didn't have a bus to catch. He was just there for her if she needed anything. And I think the reason that story touches me is because I know there's so many of those stories in this congregation. But part of my dream is that we have stories like that all the time, that we're a church of shalom, that we're waiting at the bus stop if they need us, that we're loving people who our society is leaving behind, that we're making an impact. That's my dream. That's my hope for this church. And as I look at how we shine our tentacles all over this region, I dream big dreams of lives being changed only because you are there. And I think that's what our God dreams for all of us too. How are you going to bring shalom this week? You know, because I think all of us are in some kind of exile this morning. Some of us, if we're honest, we're in exile because we're outside the kingdom. We've never made that decision to follow Jesus, to truly follow Jesus, to ask for forgiveness of our sins, to say, you're the Lord of my life. You're number one always. You're the one I'm going to live for. And if you're in that kind of exile this morning, please come home. Let the Spirit speak to you. Let the Spirit move you. Because today is the day of salvation. I think there's some of us in an exile because we've let our faith die a little bit. We let our faith grow cold. We've lost that fire. My favorite is Keith Green. He says, don't lose the fire of your first love that burned with holy fear. And I think some of us have let our faith get blown out and hidden under the, the, the candle stand like Jesus said. And some of us are in exile because we can't feel God this morning because we've done such a good job at walking away from God every single day. And if you're in that kind of exile, I'd like to invite you again this morning to please come home. I think there's also some of us who are in exile because we've been so focused on everything that's happening in the world and not enough of what's happening in here. I think there's so many of us that are so depressed and, and, and just in a bad mood about everything that's bad about this world. I got news for you. This world will always be broken until Jesus comes again. This world will always be dark until Jesus comes again. This world will always let you down until Jesus comes again. And I'm not saying that to depress you. I'm saying that to challenge you so that you can raise up. Because if this world is dark, your Jesus says you're the light. If this world is broken, your God says help me heal. If this world needs Jesus, Jesus says I need you. Every single day, we're closer to Jesus' return. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about our faith outside of Jesus himself. So the world may be broken but it's closer to reconciliation. The world may be dark, but the true light is already shining. The world may be broken again and again and again and dark again and again, but my sisters and brothers hear this. God says, we have the spirit. 
and we have you, the church. And if we would just trust God and hold on to him together, we will change this world for the better because Jesus' kingdom is coming, but it's already come. How are you bringing in that kingdom today? Now, I said briefly that I've been in exile since 1989. I think one of the things I love about this passage is my entire 20s, actually. I'm old now. My entire 20s, I struggle with this idea that I've never been back home since 1989. I struggle with this idea that I'm my father's only son. And in my culture, that's a big deal, right? You carry your father's name. I struggle with that. But then when I got to this Jeremiah passage, I realized that exile ain't that bad if you're shining for glory. Exile ain't that bad if you're planting roots. Exile ain't that bad if Jesus is your focus. If you're not chasing man's dreams or your father's dreams, but your heavenly father's dreams. So my invitation this morning, you know, as we're going to go to communion in a little bit. Right now, actually, the ushers can get ready and come up. But when I think about communion... I think about how it's this beautiful reminder for all of us, whether we need salvation and we're in exile, revival because we're in exile, or just to rededicate. What I love about communion is is this invitation that we are to see anew, that everything we see in this world, that what there is in this world, that what's happening all around us is not all that matters. It's not all that there is, and it's not all that's happening. And I'm not trying to get super metaphysical with you, but I'm just trying to tell you, what you see out there is not as important as what we're going to do this morning and what that cup and what that bread represents. I'm going to tell you right now that what you see out there is not as important as what happened on Calvary's tree. That the blood that flowed from Jesus' veins matters more than even the blood that flows in your veins. I'm going to tell you this morning that what we do in communion is a chance to sit before God, to get right before God, to rededicate our lives before God. But I'm going to tell you this more. What we do in every single communion is we say everything that's out there will not matter than what I know is coming. The darkness in this world will not overstep the light in me. The brokenness of this world will not define or paralyze me from stopping and doing what God's called me to do. So welcome, sisters and brothers. Welcome to the table this morning. Welcome to this time to be reminded that the cross always matters more, that Jesus always matters more, and that you are called to mend the broken, to heal, and you're called to wait by the bus stop. Amen? I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back today we're going to have communion at the front and I'm going to ask you to exit your section to the right your right and then re-enter it from the left again uh, as I always say You don't have to be brethren in Christ. You don't have to be a member of this church. We just ask that you love the Lord and that this is a meaningful thing for you to partake in. Also, 
we know we have in little plastic packets gluten-free bread in each of the plates. If you're allergic to that stuff, feel free to take that. And one other thing. Please take your time at communion. Even if you want to take the cup to the back or go sit with someone, this is not something you rush through. This is something that is supposed to be where your soul is fed. Let God feed your soul during this, okay? We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Let us do the responsive reading together. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his example. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart. Feed on him in your heart. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the feast you have prepared for us. And Lord, help us to hunger for this and thirst for what you want to give us this morning more than anything else in the world. One day there will be a great marriage feast of the Lamb. Until that day, Lord, we celebrate what you have done and what is to come. Bless us during this time. In your name we ask it. Amen. We will begin to partake of the communion. 